Hey guys, Greg from Dead Men Walking Podcast, now on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'll be traveling down to Tullahoma, Tennessee for the Why Calvinism Conference, February 22nd through 24th, with some of my rowdy Reformed Baptist brothers, or Deepwater Presbyterians as they like to say. I'll be hosting the event and live podcasting from each of the sessions. The conference theme is right in the name, Why is Calvinism Important to Believers, Churches, and Sound Theology? You're going to hear from some pretty great speakers like Dr. James White, Jeffrey Rice, Matt Slick, Keith Foskey, Claude Ramsey, Braden Patterson, Andrew Rappaport, Brad Skelf, and many, many more. Plus, Dr. James White will be debating Jason Breda on the Doctrine of Atonement on the final night. And there's going to be over $3,000 in Bible Rebind giveaways from Post Tenebrous Lux and music led by Kenny and Claire. Pre-conference starts on February 21st with a session on the dangers of full preterism, and the full conference is February 22nd through 24th. So swing by OpenAirTheology.com to grab your tickets. That's OpenAirTheology.com. Make sure you find me at the conference and say hello. See you in Tullahoma. If you could live your life in a positive, neutral, or negative world, what would you choose? What would you choose? You don't know the definition yet? you got to choose anyways. Just choose it. Just choose Just it. it. Uh, there you go. Think about it. Think about it. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight Lab Feast Network. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox. I'm the water boy. It's good to be with you. We got Aaron Wren actually coming up to talk about that. He's going to help us sort through those questions. Positive. In that case, you just answered my... Yeah, uh, that, now, now we know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's three things you should know about 1689 cigars. Number one. Ooh, they taste they're good. They're corporate sponsors of Politics. Uh, I love well, having a cigar. Oh, company. my goodness. They we just interrupted good. Toby's I, I'm ad. just trying we're, to read an ad. We're so happy here. Good. Did I say that? Are you excited There's about There's three this? things. One, they taste good, they yeah. taste good, and they taste and good. And they're delicious. When you purchase from 1689cigars.com, that's where you can find them, 1689-1689cigars.com, uh, you help provide jobs for folks in Nicaragua who would mm-hmm. otherwise have very a very difficult time providing for their families and be reduced to handouts. Number two, every time you enjoy products from 1689cigars.com, you support Reformed Church planters oh. in Nicaragua. Ooh. Three, 1689cigars.com is owned and operated by bivocational pastors here in the U.S. who resonate with Pastor Charles Spurgeon. When he said, I intend to smoke a good cigar to the glory of God before I go to bed tonight. You know, there's number four reason, too. <laughs> I guess. Because yeah. you get to smoke Baptist <laughs> cigars. <laughs> cigars. Cigars, people. 1689cigars.com is honored to partner with Reformed Cigars by selling all the blends and sizes available from Reformed Cigars. Whether your palate prefers a full-bodied Maduro, a mild Ooh, Connecticut, glory. or somewhere in between. The Connecticut's are pretty good. 1689cigars.com has a blend for you during the month of February. Ooh, Black History Month. Uh, I was thinking Valentine's Month, but that's okay. Visit 1689cigars.com to take advantage of their sale on five packs, five packs, and to purchase a beautiful poster-sized print from cigar band artist Clay Hall. He skillfully replicated the historic stained glass window from Spurgeon Pastors College in a stunning mosaic of cigar bands. That's 1689cigars.com. Mm. Smoke to the glory of God. That's a, that's a long ad. It was kind of, it was kind of long. Worth I, it. Yeah. I told him right up an ad, and I'm like, Whoa. I'm like, man, yeah, you kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, that was your first it. mistake. You sell them cigars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're really grateful to have with us Mr. Aaron Wren. He's a writer and consultant in Indianapolis who is a co-founder and senior fellow at American Reformer. He yes. uh, compels insights on society, Christianity, family, cities, politics, and economics. Aaron, thanks for joining us on Cross Politic. Thanks for having me back on the show. 
Absolutely. So you got a brand new book out. Uh, where's the book? Guys? Really? You know, like Life. Where's your hardback copy at? In my office. Oh, okay. In my office. Aaron, but, see, I'm the only one who loves you, and you're going to give them hardbacks. I right. see how it is. Okay. <laughs> Life in the negative world, confronting challenges in an anti-Christian culture. Uh, Aaron, I know that this is uh, a, a development from uh, an article that you wrote um, a year or two back. and 22, um, I believe. Yeah. Um, so just briefly, uh, we actually um, were particularly interested in, in uh, and excited, actually, that so much of your book was taken up in um, sort of going forward, moving forward um, in, in, in the era that we live in. But just for the sake of those who may be just joining us, uh, briefly sketch for us what you mean by negative world and, and you know positive world and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, happy to do that. First off, I conveniently do have the hard cop, uh, hey! uh, cover, cover right here. There we go. So you, you can pick that up wherever fine bookstores are sold. Yeah, so basically America never had a state church like they have in Europe. But for most of the history of our country, a sort of a generic Protestantism was the de facto national religion of America. Think about as recently as the 1950s. About half of all ad adults attended church on Sunday. That's the high watermark of church attendance ever in America, 52. actually. Yeah. We had um, uh, prayer in schools and uh, Bible reading in schools, public schools. Yeah. Uh, we were adding in God we trust to our money, putting under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, things of that nature. There's a famous photo. I think you've seen it. You had to have seen it. It's all over social media. People periodically post it. It's the skyline of New York City yeah. with several of the skyscrapers lit up with crosses for Easter. Mm -hmm. That was taken in 1956. And so that was America. And then starting in the 1960s, that started to become unraveled. And Christianity went into a decline in America, decline in terms of attendance, decline in terms of adherence, and the moral system of Christianity began to get called into question. And I divide that period of decline from uh, 1964 or so to the present day, because it's still ongoing, into three phases or worlds that I call the positive world, the neutral world, and the negative world. So the positive world lasts from 1964 to 1994. And the positive world is a period of decline for Christianity. I want to be clear there. This is not a time when things are going well for Christianity in America. Church attendance is down. The sexual revolution is happening, et cetera. And yet Christianity is still basically viewed positively by elite society, certainly in public at any rate. Uh, to be known as a good church-going man, like makes you seem like an upstanding citizen. And Christian moral norms are the moral norms of society. If you violate them, you can find yourself in trouble. In 1994, we had a, a tipping point in what I call the neutral world, where you know Christianity is no longer seen positively anymore, but it's not really viewed negatively yet either. It's just one more lifestyle choice among many in a sort of pluralistic public square. So we might meet, I'd say I'm a Christian. You'd say, great, I'm a vegan. Let's talk. <laughs> we can have a conversation about that. And Christian moral norms had sort of residual effect in that era. But then in 2014, we had a second tipping point where for the first time in the 400-year history of America, official elite culture now views Christianity negatively or at least skeptically. To be known as a Bible-believing Christian does not help you get a job at Goldman Sachs or Google, quite the opposite, in fact. And Christian moral norms are expressly repudiated and, in fact, are now in many ways treated as the leading threat to the new public moral order. 
all of the uh, hand-wringing in the media about Christian nationalism, I think, is a good example of that. And so this shift into what I've called the negative world really caught evangelicals wrong-footed, I think, and we're still trying to figure out how to respond and adapt to it. And I believe this is the underlying source of much of the intra-evangelical mm. conflict and the sort of evangelical disintegration that's sort of going on as we speak. What, what do you think was the decline that, that started of in evangelical uh, started uh, in America of evangelicalism in the '60s? What was that the initiating point? Did you mark that off, or do you mark that off? Well, um, I don't take a position on what caused it. You know, the where did it all go wrong? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people you hear people say, "Well, it was William of Ockham." back in the Middle Ages, and nominalism. <laughs> you know, some Catholics will still say it was the Reformation, or you'll hear that it's the Enlightenment. Uh, there's always something. Um, I do think that um, the date I picked was actually like right around the time of the Kennedy assassination, because it seemed like with Kennedy becoming president, we were sort of finally going to integrate the Ellis Island uh, immigrants into sort of the American mainstream. We had always been you know, a very Protestant-centric country, uh, and America was kind of anti-Catholic for a long time. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, Catholics and Jews are part of the program, and now it's all going to be great. And then kind of with the Kennedy assassination, uh, that sort of dream exploded a little bit. And not because of, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald or anything, but just seems like after that is sort of when things started going crazy with Vietnam in the 1960s and all of that shortly thereafter, which, of course, was more than just something that happened in America. You know, the uprisings of 1968 in Europe, for example, there was a lot going on. So I don't I don't try to attribute what happened. But I do think there are a couple of uh, important landmarks along the way. One is the collapse of the old Protestant establishment, the WASP establishment, they called it the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. These people had sort of been running America mm. uh, since it was created. And again, this this group had changed and morphed over the years, but there was still continuity. So, like one example, uh, the president of Yale University during the Vietnam War was a guy named Kingman Brewster. Kingman Brewster was the 11th generation descendant of Elder William Brewster from the Mayflower. Mm. Um, there were still Adams family uh, members, prominent, well into mid-century, uh, 20th century. Charles Francis Adams IV was the CEO of Raytheon. Uh, for a long time, mm. uh, for example. And this group, uh, it really, the, the, uh, the establishment sort of collapsed in the 60s. And I think because sort of that Protestantism was part of their group identity, even though a lot of these people weren't especially religious or might have been liberal, I do think as long as they were running the show, they would never have allowed a sort of certainly anti-Protestant attitude to take, home in America, take hold in America. And then the collapse of the Soviet Union was a huge event, you know, why are we adding in God we trust to our money? Why are we adding under God to the pledge in the 50s? Mm -hmm. It's the Cold War. And Christianity was part of the West's moral battle against the atheist, materialist, communist system. Godless communism, you might say. And so as long as the Cold War was ongoing, you know, we couldn't turn against Christianity. But once the, the Cold War ended, uh, that freed people up to essentially unbundle Christianity uh, from what it means to be uh, in a Western liberal democracy. And in fact, I, you could argue that maybe the neutral world started in 1989 when the Berlin Wall fell rather than 94. We could debate the specifics, but I think those were a couple of landmarks along the way. Um, you mentioned just a minute ago that um, this is the cause of a lot of the sort of intra 
evangelical conflict, and I and I think Ooh, this is talk uh, about that. getting at um, you. You um, describe sort of three different models of evangelicalism. Um, the culture warrior, the seeker sensitivity movement, cultural engagement. Um, um, what are you seeing? Um, what is going on right now? Is one of those uh, models winning right now? Well, um, maybe I'll just briefly sketch what those were yeah, and then talk about them. So uh, again, I think there were sort of three evangelical models uh, for responding to decline. In the positive world, we had culture war and cult, uh, seeker sensitivity. Culture war, I think, is the religious right as we know it. Uh, you know, Falwell, Pat Robertson, on down to the present day. Don't need to go into too much detail there. Seeker sensitivity was basically like Willow Creek Church, Saddleback Church, yeah. the, sort of the non-denominational suburban megachurch movement, which in many ways is the evangelical mainstream today. And then cultural engagement came in the 90s, was really more of an urban and college town movement. You could think of it as a seeker sensitivity for the cities. People like Tim Keller yeah. uh, sort of pioneered that model. Or, or you could also think of them as a little bit the opposite of the culture war. Rather than fighting with people all the time, they wanted to sit down and have a conversation in this pluralistic public square. And again, all of those models are still with us. And I think there's sort of been two responses to what's going on. So um, the culture war people have basically uh, kind of decided to double down. I think the idea basically is um, we're going to take the gloves off this time. And, uh, you know, I think the support of a lot of, uh, of this group for Donald Trump, sort of an example, um, of that. It's like, we need to, we need to redouble our efforts. Um, and then I would say the cultural engagers have taken the point of view that what we really need to do, I think in some respects is, uh, have a, have a withdrawal from political engagement of, and social engagement and actually cultural engagement of any remotely conservative variety. Mm. So they've, they've had become very Anabaptist, I think, inflected. And you hear things like, you know, our citizenship is in heaven, not in the United States. Um, we lose down here. Jesus didn't come to exercise power. He came to give up power. And the general thrust is that any, uh, any attempt to acquire or utilize power in the world by a Christian is somehow illegitimate. Now, of course, they never apply this to their own social justice initiatives or things mm. of that nature. These folks are quite, uh, quite, uh, uh, quite active, let's just say, mm. about things that they call quote unquote gospel issues. Now, the, the seeker sensitives, I think, are kind of getting pulled in different directions depending on, um, you know, what, you know, kind of where they are uh, specifically. Clearly, numerically, the culture war is winning. Uh, you know, we had 80% of evangelicals vote for Trump in kind of the last elections. I don't see any kind of diminution in his support uh, among uh, evangelicals. And, you know, potentially there's some, you know, he might become president. There might be some electoral victory there. Although I think the prospects for any sort of actual uh, political transformation of the country to align with uh, Christian values at this point in the near term is kind of a pipe dream. The cultural engagers have been doing extremely well in um, currying uh, uh, the good opinion of elite media. So we have some of these guys who are, you know, now very heavily featured in the media. They have money flowing into them, uh, a lot of backing. Um, they're very, very well resourced, you might say. 
Um, and so I think they're doing okay. I think you would say that he gets us campaign, you know, two Super Bowl ads. That, that yeah. was very much that I, well, it's, it, I, you know, I don't want to go too much into that. I think that was a very different campaign this year versus last year. Yeah. But what I saw from this year was very much in the, in kind of the cultural engagement mode, very much trying to show the world what they have in common with the world, not what they, where they disagree with the world. And, and in a sense, um, this group has declared their own culture war, only their culture war is against conservative evangelicals. Yeah. And so um, that's what I'd say. Now, not everybody who sort of acts that way is is a cultural engager. So I didn't. I don't think David French is a cultural engager. You know, he came from sort of a culture war background. I don't think Russell Moore is really a cultural engager either. He's sort of a, some kind of fundamentalist in my view. Huh. Um, but um, but nevertheless, you know, these groups. The, the culture war people really, really, really dislike, you know, they call them regime evangelicals and things like that. And they don't like the cult, those cultural engagers. And there's, there's kind of, a, kind of a, a lot of fighting going on. Whereas I think, you know, as has been often the case, the, the rank and file and the numbers are what the kind of culture war people, whereas the resources and the cultural power is aligned with the cultural engagers. And, you know, to be quite honest, typically, you know, if you look at it in the last 50 years, uh, it's really the people who have the backing of the institutions and the money mm. that end up winning. So that's what it is. All right, hold on. I'm going to read an ad and then and then Gabe. Gabe's, Gabe's Gabe, about to. Gabe's, I'm going to load. If you're a fan of Cross Politics or the Fight Laugh Feast Network, then surely you know we have a merch store, right? Rowdy Christian Merch is your one stop shop for everything Cross Politics merchandise. We got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, but we've also got specialty items like backpacks, mugs, coffee, even AirPod cases. Visit Rowdy Christian Merch at rowdychristian.com. That's rowdychristian.com. Buy that next gift, a little something for yourself. I don't know, it's probably a little too late for Valentine's Day now, but uh, um, pay you know, for the shipping. You know, I even get here. Again, that's <laughs> rowdychristian.com. Give a Valentine's gift to yourself. <laughs> what, you know what? You heard it Do what the man Mr. said. Mr. Wren, you yeah. heard it. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so, Aaron, you know, it seems to me that um, kind of, I, I think, 1964, the, that kind of time frame is helpful. Um, there was a lot going on there. Uh, but <laughs> kind of, um, you know, 65 legislation, all that, you know. A lot of people died term, in the 60s. Yeah, the new constitution was birthed out of the 60s. You know, like yeah, stuff, yeah. You know. yeah. Uh, but also, it seems to me that what started happening, too, was evangelicals started to work for institutions, started to work for employers, and, and stopped building their own institutions. Um, you have exceptions, like Jerry Falwell. He's building Institution Liberty University, stuff like that. Um, and and then so now I think we kind of wake up. You know, I think cancel culture and you know started really about 2016. Uh, cancel culture started happening. Um, and then we wake up and we realize, wow, you know, evangelicals, we haven't been building institutions. We haven't been building schools. We haven't been building our own companies. You know, we were working for my, my dad worked for Texas Instruments. You know, um, everyone went to work for Google, everyone to work for Facebook, all these things instead of building our own institutions. How do we, you know, dig out of this, of where we're at in this negative world? Well, you're exactly right on that point. And you guys were way ahead of the curve on this. And in fact, uh, if you read carefully, you'll see that you're actually in the book. Yeah. I use uh, yeah. I use Moscow as a positive example in the book. Yeah. Um, you know, you've you've built institutions, and then of course your your real estate uh, plays also quite good. Um, so you guys are way ahead of the, of the curve. You were right that 
fundamentally, if you are what it meant to be in like this positive world in a sort of Protestant normative society is that the mainstream institutions of society were your institutions. Yeah. You know, you don't really need your own schools when there's prayer in schools. Yeah. And there's Bible reading in schools. Or we thought the, they were our institutions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and so, um, whereas Catholics who, you know, had to deal with a sort of hostile country, yeah. Catholics built a lot of their own institutions early. Yeah. You know, they built their parochial school network. Yeah. You know, they built like their fraternal societies. They built their universities. They were building a lot of infrastructure because they knew, hey, we're in this Protestant country. The Protestants don't like us. And if we want to remain faithful Catholics, we have to have the institutional and life and the and sort of the ways of living and uh, cultures and practices that demarcate and sustain our community. And they built that and they never let that go, which is one reason I think today, for example, there's you know more Catholic intellectuals that we see than Protestant ones. So now if you're you're an evangelical, you relied on those institutions, you identified with those institutions. Uh, you very deeply identify with them at a, at a cultural kind of level, um, you know, particularly since you're probably very deeply an American, right? You think those is America. This is what America is, you know. It's it it is like that. That's the real heritage, which it is. And unfortunately, though, that's that's not where we are today. And so we do see that we are building them. And I think these, you know, the the Christian education revolution is a great example of this, and what we're going to have to see more of in other domains. Where, you know, even if you don't hate the public schools, you know, I don't think you need to be anti the rest of society to say, we just, you know, that's not us. We're going to go do our own thing. You know, best of luck to you. We're building our classical mm -hmm. Christian schools. Yep. We're homeschooling. We're doing this. And, you know, we're withdrawing. We're checking out of the major institutions of society at some level. Now, that's there's danger in that because when you abandon those institutions— those institutions then, yeah. you know, go crazy. But I think, you know, in some cases, you know, there's really not much prospect, right, of reforming the public schools, um, to be quite honest. And uh, even if, you know, I, I think you would agree with that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think part of it is I think if there's an opportunity to reform something, if there's an opportunity to make a difference, to make society better some way and improve an institution, I'm all in favor of that. But the reality is we have a lot of problems in our institutions. And those problems are the responsibility of the people who are running those institutions. And that's not us. You know, we don't have control. We're not treated as legitimate. And yet people want to gaslight us into staying invested in the system. And I think what you're seeing is people are starting to organically check out, yeah. which is absolutely the way to do it. It's not all an evangelical phenomenon by any means, but you see this in the fact that white enlistment in the military has plummeted. You know, they got the message that that they're not welcome. Uh, the military doesn't that doesn't like them. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, okay, I I will not sign up to get killed or maimed in one of our uh, globalist elites wars. Wow. And if you're black or minority, you got to be like, oh, so you just want us to go die, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. Oh, okay, I see how it is. Yeah. Well, you know, it I'm just, it just happened. Dude. <laughs> You know, the three, the three soldiers who were killed in Jordan, all three were black. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's yeah. what's going to happen. Ouch, man. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, Pastor, you no, were no, gearing up. No, no, no. Okay. I, I was hoping you were gearing up. No, man. So, Aaron, I got to give you some high praise, man, because when I got the book, I thought that you were going to spend most of the book talking about the negative world. But you really spent most of the book talking. I mean, just to page 49 is about where you break it down. You start turning the corner to the road forward. 
I want you to talk about, you pick three things here um, as you talk about the road for you talk about personal, uh, institutional and missional. And you can you break down each one of these these points forward and why they're important and how we can um, use this in a negative world? Sure. Well, those three things, I think, are the three kind of categories that we have to deal with. First, we have to decide how are we going to live as individuals and families? Mm. Things like where are we going to live? What kind of career are we going to go into? How much debt do we want to take on? Um, you know, how serious or committed are we to our faith? Um, all sorts of things like that confront us as sort of individual or family uh, decisions. The institutions are basically our churches. How do our churches, our ministries, but could also be a Christian business, how do they respond to this era? And then the last one is how do we do mission? And, um, it, you know, cause, because we cannot, I think, abandon the Great Commission uh, in any circumstances. And in fact, I think that this world we're in actually does offer um, – you know, new opportunities for reaching people that may not have been there before. Not least of which is that in our insane in society, we had a lot more people hurting than we used to. Yeah. And people who are hurting are people who are much more open to the gospel, uh, uh, you know, ultimately in many ways. So I think those are the things. Um, we could talk about some of the points. I, I think there's too many points to go through in individual detail, but like a couple of the themes that I hit uh, that I think are important. First is to adopt a posture of exploration. That is to say, you know, we we are not going to be able to put together some 50-point plan about here's what we're going to do to succeed. The truth is we're in a little kind of an unknown territory. Um, you know, Bill Hybels, when he designed Willow Creek Church, went door-to-door -door in suburban Chicago asking people why they didn't go to church. I don't think that's going to work today. <laughs> I don't mm. think we're going to be able to say, why don't you go to church? And I go, oh, I'll create a church they'll attend. The problems are deeper there, and things are changing rapidly. And so I use the example of uh, the Israelites crossing the Jordan River yeah. into the Promised Land, going away from the comfortable and the, and the known, not a perfect environment in the wilderness to be sure, but unknown into the unknown. And so we're going into the unknown, and therefore we have to be comfortable in the unknown and, and be much more comfortable walking by faith than by sight, I think. You know, a second one is to really, again, focus on strengthening our own community. You know, minorities mm. have to care a lot about self-consciously stewarding the health of their own community. We have not done that as much as oh, we, we viewed ourselves as the majority. Of so we got, you know, we talk more there, but again, we have to be thinking about how do we educate our kids, you know, how we do all this stuff. And then the last point I would say is, I think in terms of politics and culture, we need to remain prudentially engaged. That is to say, we can't withdraw, I think, as many cultural engagers would have us do, but we also have to be prudent and say, okay, in light of the circumstances that we're at, what is the best move for us? So, for example, realistically, much of the culture war agenda is unpopular and is not going to be passed anytime soon. We saw that in every single time abortion's been put on the ballot, the pro-abortion side has won decisively. Even in Kentucky, you know, Kentucky is a very red, very conservative state. And they put a ballot initiative that all it would do was um, amend the Constitution to say there is no constitutional right to abortion in Kentucky. That got voted down. You know, in Ohio, they just voted to legalize pot. You know, the reality is that, you know, we're, we're in a minority position. And so we have to think about, OK, practically speaking, how do we move forward from here? And the reality is, you know, the left won from a position where they're even more out of favor. I, I keep using this example, but. 
Uh, you know, I'm 54 years old, and the summer of love was two years before I was born. Okay, it took mm. a long mm. time for those those things to have their outworking in society, and we have to be playing the long game here and realize that maybe we're not going to see the fruit of everything that we do in our lifetime, but you know, our children and our grandchildren will be building and expanding and growing, and over time, very much there can be you know transformation for the better in America. Mm. Oh, man, I got so many questions oh. for the backstage. I got so many questions. Uh, okay, so we're going to have to. Were you going to say something? Because I'm ready to get to the backstage yeah, so much no, I, right I, now. I, I, I want to I do the same thing. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Go too. get this book. Yeah. Go get this book. Life, Life in the Negative World. In the Negative World. And is there is there a best place for people to go, Aaron, to get this? Optimized place. <laughs> Uh, wherever wherever you will actually buy it is the place that you should go. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I just had to give this because I felt like he's come out do some preaching. So if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. If you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. We're going backstage. You sit in church week after week, embracing the truth of God's Word. You believe the Gospel and claim Jesus Christ as your Lord. Yet you continue to struggle with pornography. You feel like a hypocrite, returning to the sin you hate that mocks the God you love. You desperately wonder, is lasting freedom even possible? Yes, you can overcome pornography, but not alone. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Only by repeatedly running from sin to Christ with other believers can you hope to enjoy lasting freedom. You can live with purity and integrity. Take courage, seek accountability, and do whatever is necessary. Get equipped at accountabletoyou.com.